Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. From DeFacto Sound, you're listening to 20,000 Hertz, the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. This is the story of how our bodies and minds are actually shaped by sound. Sounds can startle us, make our hearts race. Sounds can cause us to cry, to laugh, or bring us into a deep meditative state. There are so many sounds that impact our bodies on a daily basis. I mean, to start, just think about the sounds that might interrupt an otherwise peaceful day. For example, a police siren blaring by as we commute to work. And what about the cries of an unhappy baby? Or a vacuum cleaner waking you up from your Saturday nap? Whatever the sounds, good or bad, we want to get to the bottom of what leads us to make judgments about those sounds. What's going on in our brains that make us evaluate sounds in the ways that we do? And is there any truth to that lurking feeling that for some sounds, we all kind of hold a similar judgment? I mean, is there someone out there who likes the sound of fingernails on a chalkboard? And a tiny aside here. I want to pledge to you right here and now that this won't be an episode of completely cringe-inducing sounds, but there may be two or three more. Stick with us. We'll make it worth your while. Okay, maybe that was a cheap shot, but there are certain sounds that really work to grab people's attention. Sounds of all types can trigger a wide variety of reactions in our human minds. There are those, like screams, that are uncomfortable, and we'll come back to that idea later, but there are other sounds that can also put us at ease. Think about the cooing of a newborn child, or the sound of a golf ball dropping right into the hole. To get things started, I want to bring back a friend of the show, film critic Tommy Edison. My name is Tommy Edison. I'm known on YouTube as the Blind Film Critic. Tommy is also an exceptional listener. As someone who is blind, listening is even more critical to the way he moves through the world. I love audio, man. I I just love it so much. It's a sense I think I use more than anything else. It'd probably be neck and neck with touch. It's often noted that when people have one sense inhibited, other senses are strengthened. Maybe that's part of the reason why Tommy is such a good listener. I like a nice, well-tuned piano. You know, a piano that's perfectly in tune and a nice, rich sound, you know, like a Steinway or something like that. Children laughing is a wonderful little sound, right? It's a great sound. (laughs) The symphony is breathtaking because it's all live in front of you. There's no amplification whatsoever, and it's incredible.
And, as Tommy points out, beautiful, breathtaking sounds don't require a fancy music hall. They can be found, in high fidelity, all around us. There are so many things in nature that sound that good, like the ocean. You stand right at the ocean, and it's beautiful, because it's in big natural stereo. There are things happening on both sides of you, as well as happening directly in front of you. It's, it's wonderful. I love that sound. So much can be noticed just by standing still and listening. The birds, first thing in the morning, like you wake up on a summer day and you just hear them all tweeting and doing their thing and everything. It's breathtaking. And you go outside and it's just big, again, huge wide stereo, like nothing that you could ever hear from anything you'd ever buy. And it's just wonderful. I just love those things. Like the birds especially, I think it's just one of the greatest sounds ever. And what about sounds that are a nuisance? You know, the sounds that bug me, like the one that makes me crazy more than anything else is a constant whir. Like the fan above the stove, for example, right? You know, the exhaust fan. Or the one in the bathroom that comes on when you flip on the bathroom light. I hate those sounds so much. I never understood in libraries why the buzz of the fluorescent was so loud. So what is the deal with sounds like that? Are parts of our brains actually getting rewired when a hum or some other sound just won't quit? That's not a one-size-fits-all question. That's David Popel. He's a professor of auditory psychology at New York University. He runs a research lab that focuses on questions like these. My lab's quite fun, actually. A lot of it is super nerdy. I mean, it's actually very quantitative and geeky. It was kind of fun. Before we dive into the geekiest parts of Dr. Popel's lab research, let's start off with some basics. When we hear that fingernails on a chalkboard sound, or any sound, pleasant or unpleasant, what's actually happening in our bodies? So first of all, of course, the ear part of your body does the first part of the work. So whether it's something scratching on a blackboard or a very nice sound or speech, mechanical waves enter your ear canal. You basically vibrate the ears. Our ears have fluid inside them. And that fluid vibrates when the sound waves move in. That vibration then triggers neural codes. The information gets shuttled along a series of stations in the auditory brainstem up to the you know, outer layers of the brain, the cortex, as we call it. And it goes through different stations and different sorts of information are extracted. Even as you listen right now, your ears and brain are going through this process. So in essence, you're currently comprehending the information about the process of comprehension. That's pretty meta. But let's get back to that fingernails on a chalkboard sound. Did you just tense up a little just from me mentioning it? Don't worry, I'm not going to play it. Our bodies can determine a lot really quickly when we hear a noise like that. First of all, just the location of the sound. Where is it coming from? In this case, you use timing information about the sound vis-a-vis -vis your head position and your body position, where it's coming from. You figure out, for instance, the loudness. 
its pitch. Is it a very high, like in the case of the fingernails, it's pretty high pitched. It's a screechy, annoying thing. And then you want to figure out its timbre, which gives it its identity. Location, loudness, pitch, and timbre are qualities that you extract from every sound. So, since our bodies and minds have these standard processes we follow regardless of the sound, does that mean at some level that all sounds are basically equal? It turns out that depending on whether the sound is nice or not, different nuclei do different things. Different parts of the brain feed the information forwards that you interpret. Let's say this is a very obnoxious sound like the one you're mentioning. It also gets a kind of affective stamp. So your brain kind of says, hold up, pay attention to this one. This sound has certain properties that actually also activate those parts of my brain that tell me something is annoying or dangerous. And all of this happens, thankfully, really fast. Because you want to be immediately alarmed and say, holy cow, you know, I have to turn away and run or something like that. You don't want to have a kind of deliberation like, is this a good idea? Probably not. David Popel's lab has looked even more closely at this concept of reactions to alarming sounds. They wanted to know if certain characteristics of a sound cause these reactions. So they started a research project on an alarming sound that we're all familiar with. We'll get to that in just a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David Popel's lab has looked at the unique ways our brain reacts to alarming sounds. They wanted to know if there were certain properties within the sounds that correlated to that, as he says, holy cow, I have to turn away and run response. So they launched a research project focused entirely on... (coughs) Screams. Screams that are alarming. Because those, of course, are designed to be extremely effective at making you pay attention at, you know, being ready to, you know, fight or flight, basically, right? So they have to be super, super effective. And when David says alarming screams, he's not talking about screams because your favorite team just scored the winning point. We're talking about the kinds of screams people make because they suddenly realize a hungry lion just snuck up behind them. Those kind of screams have a acoustic property called roughness. And roughness has, uh, you know, it's a little bit uh, weird to explain, but it's basically the rate at which the loudness of a sound changes. When we're speaking, you and I are having a conversation, the loudness of the signal goes up and down about four to five times a second. When you make it up, let's say, 30 times or 50 times or 100 times a second, the sound gets a quality called roughness. And this roughness actually correlates very precisely with interpreting a sound as alarming or scary. So let's hear that. We reproduced an experiment like one done in David's lab. Here's the first option. Ah! Okay, so that was kind of wimpy. Let's hear what it sounds like when we add more roughness. Ah! 
you have to learn to think like you're sitting on a waveform that's going forward, right? Imagine speech is like an oscillating waveform. And imagine yourself sitting on that and just kind of going up and down. And that roller coaster of waveforms that you're sitting on is actually what gets interpreted by the mind and brain. And it's the specifics of how that roller coaster of a wave is organized that actually is at the basis of how you interpret sound. Independent from the emotional memories that we might connect to a particular sound, there are straight-up acoustic properties of certain sounds that impact how we evaluate the pleasantness or unpleasantness of that sound. So there's a very direct correlation between this acoustic property of roughness and the extent to which, as a listener, you interpret the sound as frightening or alarming. Turns out alarm signals more generally have that property. Car alarms, police sirens, they all share that roughness property. If alarm sounds have specific qualities that yield specific measurable responses in us as listeners, what about the other side of the coin? What about beautiful, peaceful, and positive sounds? Why things become pleasant is a extremely interesting and growing research area. So why do you like certain things? And it turns out that we don't know that much about it. But research is getting underway. Nature sounds, animal sounds, positive vocalizations, things like, you know, laughter. <laughs> it seems obvious that they should have some properties that make us want to listen. Whether they share something seems to me kind of unlikely. Because if you think about it acoustically, if you record those sounds and you just look at them in a quantitative way, they have vastly different properties. So the, what I guess I want to raise is that the case of alarms or dangerous things, you want to be very specific in an evolutionary sense you, because you want it to be like a hammer. When you hit that thing, it always works the same way. Positive things are a little bit more open to interpretation. It doesn't matter that you have it the same way. Always. So I think there's maybe a difference between positive and negative affect signals because they serve a very different function. Beyond good sounds and bad sounds, alarm sounds and positive sounds, there's another angle into all this that I wanted to ask Dr. Popel about. Sounds seem to have this ability to impact us in groups. Think about the sounds of a traffic jam. They are clashy and angry. The more honking there is, the more the moods of those few honkers seem to spread out across all the drivers. People seem to treat each other differently because of the dissonant experience. And sounds can bond people, bring us together, in spiritual ways. They can help focus thousands of people into the same mindset. What is it about our bodies and minds that allow us to connect this way? Is there a way to measure something so abstract? There are some common properties about those collective and sometimes spiritual sound moments. The chanting, the singing, but it's not about the sounds themselves. The first thing is you're a group. The second thing is you're trying to actually synchronize. And it's the latter that's very compelling and that we can now measure that hasn't been done. This is just at the beginning of research these days is to try to figure out how not just pairs of people, but entire groups actually become synchronized. I mean, that's why, for instance, an orchestra can work, right, or a choir. But in the chanting case, one very compelling experience is the feeling of groupiness. That groupiness is something that scientists can actually measure. You can measure that neurophysiologically. Because if I have a group of people chanting, 
and I wire them all up with the EEG recording equipment, you can show that actually the extent to which they're really synchronized with each other and attending to the particular chant is reflected in their neurophysiological activity very directly. So the, there is something that is, you know, a universal feature as is if you're doing something in a group, insofar as you're really engaged with it and jointly attending to it, that in turn actually correlates with the extent to which you like the experience or find it engaging. Think of the best concert you've ever been to. I bet when you told your friends about it, your story ended with, you just had to be there. Well, it looks like there might be something to that, scientifically. The delight of listening can transcend the sounds themselves when we listen with other people. Twenty Thousand Hertz is presented by DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound insanely cool. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was produced by Jocelyn Frank and me, with help from Sam Sneebly. It was sound designed and mixed by Nick Spradlin and Kenneth Gilbert. We'd like to thank Tommy Edison, who you can find on YouTube as the Blind Film Critic, and NYU professor David Popel for speaking with us. We also have a link to learn more about Dr. Popel's Scream study on our website, 20k.org. Our soundtrack is from our friends at Musicbed, who offer a highly curated catalog from great indie artists and composers. Like what you hear? Listen to all of the songs from our show and even license them for your own projects at music.20k.org. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring the show, reach out through our website or drop us a note at hi at 20k.org. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. What are your favorite sounds? And what sounds make you absolutely cringe? Tell us on Facebook or Twitter. Also, don't forget to tell a friend to check out the show and give us a review on iTunes. You'll find all of the links I mentioned in the show description. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.